once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Loving those you like is easy. Everyone does that. What sets you apart is loving those you don't like, even those you hate. It's there you fully embody and express the love of God. Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series Greater Love with this message entitled Loving Your Enemies, which covers Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Lord, as we approach the subject matter of this day, important as it is, we know that it would be easy to miss even because of distraction. And I pray that the voice would not be a distraction. In fact, you would show your power all the stronger. I ask that you would give strength to the voice, but more importantly, strength of your spirit may permeate the hearts of the people here in a way that can be explained outside of you taking a message and working it well into the heart. So we invite you to do that. May you be honored because of it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Anything that claims to be genuine has some means to verify authenticity. If it's a diamond, is it a real diamond? Well, take that diamond and scratch it across a piece of steel or something and see what happens to the diamond. If it's a claims to be a high-end clothing, well, let's see the logo. Let's look, look at the tag. Is it really genuine or not? If you think in terms of personal identity, what about can, how do you know you, who you claim to be? Well, try the fingerprint. That'd be a good way to find out. You can figure that out. But how about if you're a genuine Christian? That one's tough. That one's not quite so easy. And I think for that reason, our Savior Jesus in his teaching ministry on this earth, as limited as it was, spent a lot of time addressing that issue. And he did so nowhere better and then what's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew, and we'll be in chapter 5. Basically, the summary of it is this. It's, it's by showing indiscriminate love. There are going to be other expressions, but this is, the, this is the, the deepest issue of all that he's going to hammer on so intensely to say it is particularly shown in loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. Now, when Jesus came along, he started talking about righteousness, and he began to make it real clear that there are really different types and expressions of righteousness. In fact, in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Saying that, yeah, the scribes and the Pharisees, they have their righteousness, but that righteousness is not even good enough to get someone into heaven. And the people that would hear that would say, wait, they're the people of Israel. Israel, the people of God. And you're telling me that they don't make it into heaven, the best of all people? He says, no, there's a different righteousness that you have to have. And he starts explaining through this sermon the expressions of legitimacy. And so he starts working through a list. And the, the things on his list are really inner struggles. And he starts talking about the inner struggles of life. And what he's saying is this, when you face this inner struggle, what happens? When you face this one, for instance, what about anger? When anger begins to, you know, rise up in you, do, 
Do you have the ability to control that? What about lust? When you see and you go, I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't think, can you, can you find yourself bringing it into check? Or does it just kind of keep on going? The desire for retaliation. Where if you don't retaliate, it would be surrendering rights that you feel you have every reason to claim as yours. And now I have to surrender that? And their wrongdoing? Is that what I have to do? Or maybe when it comes to the issue of loving enemies, that's what we're hitting head on. When our enemies who we hate so badly, who hurt us so much, who have every intent to do wrong to us, that we're supposed to turn around and do what? Love our enemies? And Jesus, in essence, is saying, yeah, that's the way you know you're a real believer. That, that's the ticket right there. Then that can be confusing in just making that statement. That's why I'm going to teach on this beyond what I've just said. Now, we do know this, that God through the scriptures, Jesus in his teaching ministry, the apostle Paul, I mean, all throughout the scriptures, the highest premium is put on love. For instance, you remember when Jesus was approached by someone trying to trap him, but basically says, okay, good teacher, tell me this, tell me this, what's the greatest commandment? You tell me what's the greatest. And they would think they would trap him because if he picks one, then they're going to be able to say, look what you didn't say. And he says, well, the, the greatest commandment of all is to love your God with all of your heart. And oh, by the way, the second equal to it is to love mankind, love other people, even as yourself. And they realized that he'd taken the first tablet of the law and he'd summarize it in loving God. The second tablet of the law, summarized in loving people. Now, when you come to Romans, Romans in, the, in the, uh, the 13th chapter, verse 10, it says this, for love is the fulfillment of of the law. You come to 1 Corinthians 13, 34, it says this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. And then he goes on to say, it's by this love that you will know that you're my disciples. He throws out this idea of love. Look at 1 Timothy 1, 5. It says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. He said, look, all this teaching I'm doing, by the way, do you know it's it's all about love. It's love. That's the real issue. It's love. It's not these other issues that I'm teaching it, but it's, it's all about love. That's the goal of our instruction. I want you to understand this about this series. I know that many of you are new and not even a part of the series up till now, but many of you have been here through the series. You know the title of the series. The title of the series has to do with love. It's called Greater Love. Many of you who have heard this series Many of you who have really loved it, one of the primary reasons is because you think we've done a series on racial reconciliation. This was not a series on racial reconciliation. Some people didn't really like the emphasis, thinking that maybe it was too much this. Not many. I didn't hear many people like this, but I know there were a few. Well, you, we shouldn't have an emphasis on anything on racial reconciliation, this, a series on racial reconciliation. I say to all of you, we did not do a series on racial reconciliation. We didn't do a series on the poor. We didn't do a, the whole series, and, and it's my fault if we miss this. The series is about love. That's why we entitled it Greater Love. 
You see, the idea is not, okay, let's fabricate a plan that's going to bring about reaching the poor and we're going to save all the poor people. We're going to give them all. That's not what the series is about. It's not about, okay, we got a plan to bring all the races together in such a way we're going to all love each other and that's what we're going to accomplish. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to program to do this. We're going to, and that's not what we're doing. The whole thing is about love. Because you see, the church cannot, as a collective body, that's not what we're doing as a program. So what we were to reach a certain quota of people that was diversity to the very expression of the community, that's wonderful. We hope that happens. But if there's no love, that didn't accomplish anything. It's going to happen through you and me individually as we pick up the mantle of love and we live our life thinking, how do I love people indiscriminately? How do I love people that are poor? How do I love people of other races? How do I love people that are against me and hurt me? The issue are not those things. The issue is love. And then we just live a life. And we go out and we become an impact among the community in which we live. So I hope you get that. This series is on love. Jesus talked about it. The scriptures taught everything was love. And we can apply it, yes. But the bigger subject matter, keep in mind, it is definitely love. Now, I'd like for you to look at the text with me that we look at today, beginning in verse 43 of chapter 5 of Matthew. And here's how it reads. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And it sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. For if we greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that if we can win this battle about loving our enemies, then we have, a, we have, we have accomplished something, God's accomplished something in us so special that other issues are going to seem so trite in comparison. This really is the pinnacle. This is the heart, the hardest of all. Years ago, I told the story of my being in graduate school for theology, preparing to be a pastor. Think about that. Randomly assigned to our housing. And I put with a handful of guys that, I mean, if I'm honest, I, I couldn't just say I disliked them. I, I really hated them. <laughs> I did. But that's okay. They hated me too. We just did not get along. It was, it was not a good relationship. It was a hard relationship. And I remember at the end of the first year, I was so excited that second year, we had it worked out where I could move out and be with my good friends and live with them instead of people that I didn't enjoy being with. And uh, something happened 
And I won't go into it, but something happened. And, I, and you got to know, I don't have a temper. You ask my kids and Carol, uh, rarely did I ever beat them up badly. No. <laughs> Never would I raise a voice. I mean, very rarely. I mean, it's just, I, don't, I just don't lose a temper. Now, the few times in life where I have lost my temper, I was just, I couldn't believe that was me. It's just not, it's just not the way I'm wired. It's not a spirituality. It's just the way I'm, I'm not wired. And I happened to be in a situation with my roommates. And it got so bad that my temper just, I lost it. And I said some things that were very, very mean, very wrong to have said. And I just let it go. And as soon as I had, I, I was just struck with conviction. And what I did was wrong. I went back to my room and I said, I got to talk to you first, Lord. And I, and I said, I'm so sorry. And I, I, that's just unbecoming. It can't be. And, uh, and I promised the Lord that that would be it. I would not do that again. And I'm telling you, while I'm on my knees praying, I overhear something one of them says. And there was not even a conscious thought. I spring up, I run in there, and I find myself with my hand drawn, and I'm ready just to go at him. I don't do that. That's so unlike me. In my youngest days, I, I, that wasn't me. And I, I, I came short of, of actually being in a fight. But I tell you, I got back on my knees in my room and I, went, I said, God, I, I don't qualify to be a pastor. And I know this, that this is a test that if I can't pass, I shouldn't be a pastor. And I made a commitment that day. I said, Lord, I'm going to I'm going to re-enroll to be back in the same place, which would be typical. I'm not going to get out as I'd gotten permission. I'm going to come back and I'm going to go through another year of training. And my training is not going to be in the classroom. My training is going to be here in this house. And at the end of the year, if I cannot believe that I truly have loved my roommates, then I don't go into the ministry. You know, at the end of that year, I'd come to the conclusion and I really believe I had, that I had loved them well. I didn't enjoy them anymore. I didn't find it to be pleasurable now. But I think I could say before the Lord, you know what? By the power of God, I think you're loving. That's how important love is. It, it, it's, the, it's the ultimate criteria. It really is. You think about it this way. In 1 Corinthians 13, God speaks through the Apostle Paul. And you know it's a chapter on love. Many of you know that. And, and he says this, okay, if you speak with miraculous language that cannot be explained, if you can prophesy things that are going to happen, if you could actually predict and it come true, if you had the ability to have supernatural faith beyond anything natural where you could trust and believe, if you were so generous that you found yourself giving everything you have to the poor, if you even find yourself so deeply committed that you would die as a martyr for your faith, but with all of those things, you don't have love, he says you have nothing. That's amazing. I mean, you understand the premium that's put on this idea of love, it's like, it's the everything. And I think the reason is because now we're talking about something that 
just the moralist who's not a Christian or, just, or the humanitarian who's not a Christian that, oh, they can easily do this. They can easily, no, they, they can do other things. By the way, did you know we get so excited about the supernatural and I saw this happen and this happened and this happened. You understand, do you not, that it's not that big a deal for non-Christians as well as Christians in their religious groupings to see the miraculous things happen healings, languages, all that happens in non-Christian groups. It really does. Do you realize that those things can happen through a very well-trained hypnotist? That happens. But when you're talking about loving your enemies, people that you truly hate, and you find yourself loving them, now you're talking an issue of a whole different matter. That separates the men from the boys, as they say. The Christians from the, maybe the illegitimates. It's a thing called love. Maybe the problem with some of us is we don't understand what love is. Maybe we're thinking that, oh, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to show love to people, then, I, then I've got to if, put my roommate situation. Oh, then I have to start enjoying them and start, you know, finding myself just feeling very, very tight with them. No, it's not it. I mean, if you know my story, I, I was so confused when my parents divorced after many years of marriage that I thought was good. And uh, I finally found my dad saying, well, things change with time. And I loved her much. Your mother, you know, for many years and the love was gone and, and so forth. And, and and I realized, I don't think I know what love is. I mean, I, I looked at letters that my mother and father had written to each other when they were dating each other. And, and when I read their love letters, they made the letters that Carol and I were writing to each other look like business letters. I mean, they were like, <laughs> th th it was just no comparison. And I thought, wow, they had something that, that maybe we don't have. So I went on a quest. And I told Carol, I said, Carol, we got to call time out on this whole thing because I don't know what love is. I really don't get it. And so I began to talk to older people. And I used to ask them, tell me, how do you know you love your spouse? What is love? How do you love in life? And I'd ask people who are godly people, what is love? And so forth. Until I got a new definition for love that transformed my understanding and helped me to understand the scriptures. Because this is what I learned. Love is a commitment. It's a commitment. I just assumed it had to be an emotion. It feels like it should be a motive only. No, it's not. Love is a commitment. And number two, love is a commitment based on the will of God. How do I know what the commitment should be? Well, you look at God's word, you look at your conscience, and you just say, I'm going to be obedient to those. That's what God says, and that's what I do. That's in obedience to God. Now, there's an issue of power to be able to do that, which we're going to conclude with, but it's... It is a commitment based on the will of God. And then I learned this. It doesn't stop there. So very often, maybe not always, but so often undergirded by a positive emotion. Emotion can actually be the byproduct of love. We think that, no, no, emotion should be the, by, should be the cause of our action. It's the other way around. I realized I had that thing all reversed. As long as you've got the engine, the train runs. The caboose is the feelings, and it's so good to have them. Let's not ignore them. 
But at the same time, let's understand what this real love actually is. I'll tell you this, I don't know how you parent well without an understanding of the definition of love. How many parents say, oh, I, my child did this, but I, 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 could, I couldn't discipline them. I couldn't because I just love them too much. Say, no, 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 you don't understand. Love is giving people what they need, not what they want. And when you can give them what they need and want, oh, that's sweet, but it's not always. Parenting means you learn what love actually is. So three teachings very quickly. I think they'll all fall in very easily now. Number one, followers of Christ are capable of loving their enemies. Verses 43 and 44, we read it again. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You have heard. Now, I hope you know this. If you're new, maybe you haven't. But when you ever read the words, you have heard, you know that that is saying, this is not true, what's following. If it comes from God, it will say, it was written. It was written. So when he says, you have heard, well, what they were saying is, the scribes and Pharisees, being the people that were saying this, that, hey, it's okay to hate your enemies. If you can legitimatize the fact that they truly are enemies by what they've done, then you have a right to do that. They use these uh, precatory psalms that is a, a category of psalms where you hear the author bringing judgment upon the people. And they say, look, the writers of Scripture did it. And it's okay for us to do because we're justified. Well, I want you to be very, very careful with that. If you want to see one of them, you could go to Psalm 69. That would be one of those psalms that does just that. But you have to separate this what would be called a judicial standpoint and a personal standpoint. The two have to be separated. These texts, these psalms that we're talking about, their design in their authorship is to bring vindication to the name of God. It was all about bringing honor and glory and protecting who God is. It's the very thing that Caleb prayed about earlier. There is a judicial justice that we should pray for and long for. Absolutely. But you better separate that from personal because God never told us personally that we could do that. Oh, they say, yeah, but it says, the Bible says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's judicial. Never was intended to be personal. You want to see it modeled? Look at Jesus. Jesus comes along and and he brings woe against the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe. Woe is a judgment. I mean, it's bringing condemnation on these people. But then you turn it around and Jesus finds himself on the cross. He's on the cross. He's being spit at. He's being verbally abused. He's had nails driven through his hands and feet. And what does he do? But he looks up to his father and he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Go back to one of the primary authors of these psalms, David himself. David is the one who, who writes these things, but then he finds himself before his greatest enemy, Saul, the king, who God has already said to David, you're going to be the new king. And here's Saul trying to kill David, and in the providence of God, finds himself in a cave capable of taking the life of Saul. And all of his peers, they go, this is it. God's provided. Let's take his life now. We're in war. Let's go. 
He says, no, do not touch that which is anointed. No. It takes a personally a whole different thing than judicially. Now, when we come to Luke chapter 6, we see it expressed, the same teaching. In verse 27 it says, But I, Jesus, say to you, you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now think about that. Personal evaluation. When you find someone who hates you, is your first thought, what good thing can I do for them now? <laughs> when someone curses you, is your first thought is, okay, now, how could I bless them? What would be a blessing to them that I could provide? When somebody is mistreating you, think about that. They're mistreating you. Do you find yourself praying for them? That's a different, it's like, are you serious? Jesus had to come up with a new word because in the language there was not anything to really describe what he was talking about. Oh, there was eros, a word for love, has to do with sexual encounters. There was phileo love, that had to do with affection and, you know, kindness and all that. But he had to come up with the word, many of you know, it's agape. Agape was a new word to say this is unconditional. Has nothing to do with what they've done. They do the very, very worst. This is what that kind of love is. It is totally unconditional. So, I mean, have you heard me say this through the years? I've met with many, many a Christian, particularly in marriage counseling, that say, I cannot love her. I cannot love him. I cannot. There's no way. The way they act, the way they treat me, I cannot love them. And I have to, cry, I have to go to first base first and say, look, folks, are you, tell me this. Are you a Christian or not? Just tell me yes or no. Oh, yeah, we're Christians. Then quit saying you can't love. You can love. Either you're not a Christian and therefore you can't, or if you're a Christian, you either don't know what love is, or your heart's very cold, and right now you're not willing. Maybe you don't understand how to love. I don't know, but don't say you can't love. I bet you half the marriage problems that we've got in this church right now would be 50% solved. I know many of them very, but I bet you they'd be solved if only one partner gained an understanding of love and applied it and just said, you know what? I'm going to start loving by the power of God. You can't do it otherwise. Let's go to number two. Just know this. We are capable of love. Number two. Indiscriminate love is the ultimate verification of sonship of God. So verses 45 through 47. So that you may be sons of your father. That, that means so that you might prove to be. It's not you do this so you can become a son of the father. No, so that you will prove to be of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For, it is, uh, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Uh, sons of the Father, that we may prove to be sons of the Father. That means father-like. 
You know the little expression like father, like son, or whatever? Well, it's the same idea. It's that this is the way we prove to be sons of the Father. Because we are father-like. Well, what do you mean? Well, what does he do? He causes good things to happen to bad people. Oh, we always talk about how can God let bad things happen to good people? Well, this is the great challenge here. Look, our father models that he allows good things to happen to bad people. And likewise, we're to do the same. It sets us apart. Now, I want you to look at the third and final, and then I'm going to take this really home in a personal way. But let's look, let's look at the third and the final teaching. Indiscriminate love is the hallmark of human perfection. Verse 48 can be very confusing. It reads this way, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, how many times have you read that, if you have, and said, Phew, yeah, right. I'm going to be perfect? Oh, I must be talking about when I go to heaven. No, it's not. Right now, be perfect. Oh, I, oh, is this one of the things where shoot for the stars and you'll hit the moon? No. He never, ever tells us to do something that we are not capable of doing, at least in his power. He never would never do that. The word perfect is the word telos. It actually refers to a functional perfection. It's to reach one's full purpose for which something is designed. That we can do. This is not talking about free from sin at all. So I think in order for you to understand this, I've got to explain it this way. There are two kinds of righteousness. Remember where we began? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. There is a righteousness of imputation. Hear that. Impute. Place within. There's a righteousness that God places within us at the moment of salvation. It's the understanding of the text in 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's where he takes his righteousness, he covers us with his son's righteousness, and we're seen as righteous as Christ, perfectly righteous. That is the righteousness of imputation. There's a secondly, a righteousness of impartation. Now that is partial now. The other is full now. The righteousness of impartation is taking the imputed righteousness and learning in our growth, spiritual growth, to let that impart out. It, 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 it's, it's taken out. It becomes something that we experience and we live, and it's a growing experience. That's what he is referring to here. Same as in Hebrews 10, verse 14, it says this, for by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. So it is the power for your, or, or it is the, uh, the basis for the power for you and me to obey Christ and for the spiritual growth we experience as we live for Christ. It all comes through imputation. Imputation, all right? That causes the impartation. Teaching done. Now let's close. Let's try to understand, well, what does this mean for me? Let me tell you, there is life-changing power that's pinned up without indiscriminate love. When we start crossing the line to showing love 
without discrimination, man, something happens. But you got to hear this. It does not come naturally. It will not come naturally. It can't be willed. Willpower won't bring it about. It can only be received. Acknowledge, received. That's it. We become a conduit for something God does, not what we do. That's the Romans 5, 5 text. It reads like this. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If it weren't for that truth, I don't know how we'd live life. Not with power. It's through His power in us. So let's do a quick inventory just of your strained relationships and our, maybe our enemy roster if we have one. All right? Number one, no response from the audience. How about your boss? How many of you find yourself, I cannot stomach my boss? You talking about a turnoff? You talking about somebody who, no, my boss. How about any of you have an ex-spouse that you say, I despise that person? What they did to me, how they hurt me. They're truly my enemy. Maybe worse yet, your spouse right now, where you say, I, I, I just can't do it. I don't know how I could ever love that person. How about a former love? Somebody who defrauded you, hurt you so bad that you will live the rest of your life wounded because of what they did to you? Or maybe what they did to a friend or your child or somebody you love very much? Anybody have a former friend who violated your trust and, and they They've hurt you forever and ever and ever. How about a classmate who maybe legally but robbed you of something very precious that you'll never get back? How about a parent who abused you? And you know you're going to live with scars forever. You can't just pray and those things go away. By miracle they can, but they often don't. What do you do when you face that? I'll tell you this, you better appropriate the power of God's Spirit. That's why I harp on it over and over and over and over. Always talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise, we're just a people living by willpower. We're gutting it out and trying harder and failing and sorry, let's do it again. No, you've got to learn to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody can go back at any time on primitive.org slash pope and hear a 17-minute teaching, how to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to just keep saying it over and over. It's God's Spirit. It's not going to be done any other way. I know this, I, I told the story years and years ago, but I was in a previous job to being here at Perimeter. I had an assistant that was given to me that I absolutely could not stand. You can kind of see where I came from, can't you? You can a little feel of this. I wasn't the easiest, I guess. But I, this, this, this lady, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, she was way too sensitive way too sensitive. And I wasn't as bad as it'll appear that I am, but somehow every time I engaged with her in the course of a day, she would end up crying over something I said. I will take some responsibility for that, but I promise you this woman was not pleasant to be with. 
And I got to where I just, I, again, I said, okay, Lord, here I am back to the same place. I've got to love. And I was sitting in my office. I could see out the window in the parking lot and I'd see her come in. She'd come in later than me. And I'd see her come in. And I prayed one day. I said, God, I'm struggling to love this girl. You know that. But today, I'm going to love her. I want to promise you, my commitment, I will love her. By then, sometime in the day, she'd start crying again, and I would have hurt her, and we were, um, I'm frustrated. And next morning, I see her come, and I said, God, I failed yesterday, today, and I made the same promise, and I failed again the next day. After about three days of failing, I see her maybe on day four driving up, and I said, okay, God, I'm not going to say it again because I know it's not going to happen. Now, God, if you want to do something, that's your business. I'm certainly willing. I'm not going to try to be ugly, but I, I can't do it. I will not be able to love that woman well unless you do something. I remember at the end of that day, my office is praying, saying, Lord, what happened today? That was amazing. Is it because I called on you and asked your power and acknowledged my lack of it that made this a powerful event, that you did something different? And I watched God begin to teach me about appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit right there. Folks, don't will it. Invite God to do it. It's His power in you. I'm going to invite us to close in prayer and to repent right now. First of all, there may be some of us that are seekers that say, I want to just say, I'm sorry. God, I've been trying to will my way into obedience so that you would accept me. Wrong. You have to do it in me. Come into my life and change me. Christian, to say, Oh God, I've not been loving. It's been so obvious. There are people on this list and, and others. I'm not loving. And I thought I had the right not to. But now I want to love as you've called me to love. I ask for his power. And let's see if God doesn't make a difference. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we do uh, acknowledge that you alone, you alone can do what we're needing if it's salvation, we can't save ourselves by our merit and good works, so God, would you come into our hearts? For those of us that are Christians, we're sorry we've been trying to will our way into even relationships and to love, and we haven't been able to do it, and we failed, and we want to invite you to do that right now. So God, whatever it takes, we ask you to do it. We thank you that we can call upon you and help us to grow, not get discouraged as we'll fail. God, grant us to just make a little progress. And tomorrow, a little bit more progress. That's our, that's our request. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.